Hello, welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is Alex C. Alex is the volunteer coordinator at the Richmond Olympic Oval and a Vancouver-based musician. Her YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash Alex C. Music. That's A-L-E-X-S-E-E Music. In this episode, we dive into leadership and what that looks like in today's world, our mutual love for Brene Brown, veganism, music, and much more. Also, if you stick around until the end of the episode, Alex performs an original song. I highly recommend giving it a listen, because if you're like me and you listen for both the melodies and lyrics of a song, I'm sure that you will be moved by Alex's piece in some way. So, without further ado, let's see where this goes with Alex C. The first thing is I want to say that when you hosted that CSR training and that orientation meeting, it was the best orientation I've ever had. And I feel privileged to have been able to experience a lot of orientation and training things for work and volunteer experiences. But there was just something about the one that you put together that really resonated with me. And I think it follows the theme of subtle leadership. Because I know uh, with your job as a volunteer coordinator, you're very into leadership, you're very into youth development, which we'll go into more detail later. But that being said, um, you present the ideas in a way that's not traditional in the best possible way. It's all about, you know, focusing on the minor details, not taking up the spotlight, encouraging other people to grow and expand their ideas. So uh, I guess I want to start off by asking, what's your philosophy of leadership? Do you feel like this description of subtle leadership is correct? Or do you have your own opinions about what leadership truly is about? Um, I'm really excited to talk with you about this because I think that we kind of have some um, of the same leadership styles or we have some of the same, we share some of the same ideas. Um, Like for example, I've never heard it called subtle leadership before. Um, I, I really, let's go with that. Let's go with subtle leadership. Uh, I'm sure there's different ways to call it. Um, I really believe in it because the things that matter are the things that you can't see. Um, because for example, you can see with our volunteer benefits program, we give them a gym membership, we give them parties, we give them giveaways and that gets them through the door, right? When a new volunteer comes in, they're so excited. Oh, we get all this stuff. But in the end, you see they don't even care, right? They come in, they make friends, they feel at home here, they don't even care about the stuff. Um, they, could, they could do without and they'll still come back because this is where they feel at home. Um, and that's the words I keep hearing uh, from my team, like this feels like home, this feels like family. Um, one story that I think says the most about my leadership style is um, it makes me all soft and gooey every time I think about it. Um, there's this retired nurse, um, an older lady. Um, she's not that old, she's just retired. Anyway, um, she's new to the volunteer team. And she says, right after her very first shift, she says, this is my first day here. I can tell people really love you. I want to stay. Wow. Right? So how can it be that someone walks into a place and they feel love? Right? Imagine what you as a person would be like if you go to work and you feel love, if you go to school and you feel love, you go home, right? It's not, it's not always a given and you feel love. What kind of person would you be? 
Um, and I and I kind of am scared a little bit to tell this story because I'm I'm not trying to brag, and it's not. I think you can tell it's not about the bragging; it's about what we need to do to serve people, uh, and it's really important that we have it in this world. Yeah, I don't think you're bragging at all. I actually, I think when you get to a point that you're so passionate about something and it becomes a part of your identity, it's kind of hard to talk about something that's such a big part of you without sounding braggy. So I encourage you to speak your mind and if you feel like bragging, then <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> it's, your, it's your time to brag. Uh, I guess to move on, where or how did you find yourself in this position? Because my understanding is that you didn't just randomly decide, I'm going to work with kids and be their coordinator and volunteer, or be their volunteer coordinator. I think um, most volunteer managers, well, that's a big generalization, many will say that they fell into the work, right? You can hear kids say, I want to be a fireman when I grow up, I want to be a teacher, I want to be an author. No one said I want to be a volunteer manager. Um, so I was just very lucky. I just happened to get this free training um, at my co-op position. Um, so I just fell into it. And it really shows because there have been times, um, for example, when I had a youth that I suspected was having, um, to be frank, emotional abuse at home. I thought, I fell into this work. I have no idea how to deal with this. How do I even approach this? Um, but the more that I have done this work, the more I feel like I'm just so lucky to get to be here. Um, does that answer the question? Yes, I guess without giving away too much, that how did you deal with that specific situation where you were dealing with a young person that was going through that type of abuse? I Well, first of all, I'm very lucky I called the city youth development team. Um, and I just said, hey, I'm way, way in over my head. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. And I was very lucky um, that they were able to give me some support and some guidance. In the end, I just sat the youth down and I said, hey, I'm here for you. Um, it was a lot longer than that. But in the end, um, I, the youth didn't say much more. But I think I got my point across, like, I'm here for you if, should you need anything. Um, and I think also it was really important for me to assert from what you've told me, young person, like, I'm very concerned. And in my opinion, that's not okay. Um, because... Um, to be honest, I'm someone who was there. And when you're a young person with people um, under the care of authorities, you can't always tell what's right or wrong, right? Especially if the authority is saying, this is, this is the way we're going. And as a young person, it's hard to, to have confidence in what you believe yourself. Um, so I'm, I'm glad I had the chance to be there for that person. And uh, even though I think in the end they didn't explicitly take me up on that offer to share more or to ask for more support, um, I think that still matters, just knowing that people are there for you. Because in the end, you know what, I think they can handle it. Um, not saying that situation is easy, um, but I hope they know, like, yeah, this is something you can handle. It's, it's difficult. It's not something that a lot of people deal with, but I'm in, I'm in your corner. You can deal with this. Maybe that's, maybe that's something that's helpful to hear as well. How does listening play a role in your life, both in leadership and in the various activities you find yourself doing? I think 
And it's a, it's a quality I see a lot in you as well. You can let me know, I'm, I'm curious, is it something that you've had to work very hard at? Because I feel like I am both a good listener and someone who's really having to learn to listen at the same time. Uh, yeah, I see you nodding in agreement. Yeah, I, one thing I've kind of learned about myself more so this past year is that I'm good at empathetic listening to a degree. The reason I say that is just because I've had conversations with my friends and they'd say, oh, you're really great at listening when I have an issue. I think my limit that I'm trying to work on is I have a hard time listening when I get critiqued, when, it, when the issue is with about me. So for example, um, uh, with the volunteer group that I run, uh, I went about something and the team critiqued me and I felt super defensive, super attacked. Um, I thought, no, no, this is a good idea. This, here's why it's a good idea, da, 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 da. And that only transpired into people feeling like, you're not listening to us. You're not taking into account our ideas. So I would, I would say similar to you, I think I'm a good listener, but I also have very, very key areas that I need to work on. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, but I think you've introduced a new topic of listening specifically when someone is giving you feedback. I, I feel like that's a whole different arena. Um, maybe we'll stick with the first one, just, just the, what you call empathetic listening. I think what's really cool about that is, going back to the story about the youth, um, empathetic listening is not solving someone else's problems, right? They can, they can deal with it but you are there for them. I think it's just, it just goes back to that simple concept, right? People can, people have what it takes to solve their own problems. We just need to show that we're there for them. And even though it doesn't look like we're doing anything, you're, right, we're literally just listening. I think it makes a difference. Um, I have been eyeing um, the coaching um, certification for a while. And I think somewhere in the literature, it explained when you give someone the gift of listening, you give them space to become themselves. Um, that really resonated with me. What is that? Um, I, I see you're like processing that. What does that mean for you? Does that resonate at all with you? It sounds like one of those profound quotes that has so much depth to it. But when you hear it for the first time, you're, you're just kind of like, what? <laughs> what is that? So you said that moved you. Why did that specific quote move you? I guess I'm putting it to you because even though I, I listen to this quote and I'm like, oh, there's something to it. I can't really explain it. Um, I think I, this might be a strong word. I try desperately to listen to people. Maybe there's a different way to phrase it. Let's go with that for now. Because I feel like it's so hard to find a place to be listened to, right? You, you go to work, you're told to do this. You go to school, you're told to do this. Even It's not even a given within your friends and family that if you have something to say, um, that they will really sit and really take the time to truly understand you. Um, and so to be listened to, that is so amazing. And I think that changes, when you, when you feel like someone's really taking the time to listen to you, that changes you. You feel like, oh my goodness, like, I can open up. Um, and it takes that effort, right, for the listener to show you, like, you can open up. This is a safe space. 
um, yeah, I think it is transformative. The key thing I hear from all of that, it reminds me of idea, an idea from my friend uh, and mentor. He used to say something along the lines of the best investment I've ever made was an investment in people. So I think that is similar to the idea you shared because when you're listening, it's a, it's a very selfless act when you if, if what let me when you listen properly it's a very selfless act and in a way it's kind of like an investment i know nobody who selflessly listens does so thinking like oh i'm gonna listen to you only so i can get all these perks and benefits from listening to you but i do believe that um when you give someone the gift of listening and you give them the space to just express themselves in an, a free, non-judgmental area, then it can have some wonderful rewards for both people, I think. Yeah, that's, that's what comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up non-judgmental because of course that is key. Um, I think what I was saying just now is similar to what um, Dr. Brene Brown, she's a big hit. I love her. Oh my gosh. Yes. Renee Brown. She is like the professor crush. Yes. <laughs> so she is. She's amazing. Go on. Um, I think what I was saying earlier, just like, you don't feel listened to here, you don't feel listened to here. I think that is what Brene Brown says um, is the armor that you wear around. She calls it specifically armor, right? When you don't feel like you can open up and be yourself, you keep that armor on all day long, everywhere you go. And it becomes a kind of exhausting that you don't even notice because you're just so used to it right and so when you get the chance to feel listened to it's like you can take that all off and breathe again um i yeah i I hope to study more about her work because i feel like i've only scratched the surface i'm so excited that you brought up Brene brown because when i'm with my friends and they ask me about uh, ideas regarding listening i'll always say Brene brown's awesome Brene brown's the best Brene brown's this and this and this and that and they'll say who? Who's that? So what has been your favorite tidbit of wisdom from Brene Brown that either has impacted your life, really moved you in a certain way? Well, here's the thing about Brene Brown. So we, by we, uh, my volunteer management professionals group, we actually took the time to uh, study her and do a book club. I'm laughing because uh, I attended the club without reading the whole book. <laughs> you know how that goes. Who reads uh, books anyway? <laughs> we just watched the movie. Oh, my, oh yeah, she has a Netflix. Yeah, she has a Netflix. Have thing. you watched it? I have. Have you? No. What did I miss? Um, you missed a very, very good practical way of dealing with misunderstandings in a relationship and not just a romantic relationship but relationships with everybody yeah oh do you have any tips i I, do you want me to just outright spoil it it's a pretty good one but i can hey i believe in spoils okay so here's the thing i think my my opinion i'm sure there are many cases where i'm proven wrong but um my opinion is if you give me like a little excerpt or a little summary and that makes me want to forgo the entire movie then the movie wasn't worth it in the first place oh. unless it's a plot twist in which case yes you need the build out okay interesting. <laughs> okay sure so the idea she shared was that 
when we find ourselves in these circles of shame, these circular thought patterns of shame where we think I'm not good enough because of this, this transpires to this, this leads to this, this leads to this, and that is why I'm not good enough to begin with. She says when you're having that kind of circular thought pattern of shame with somebody else and you want to communicate that, the word to use, or the phrase to use rather, is the story I'm telling myself is blah, 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 blah. And the reason why this is so impactful is because it, A, acknowledges that the person who you're talking to isn't, at, isn't intentionally trying to harm you. And the second thing is it still gives you the space to convey your emotions in a way that doesn't discredit what you're thinking or what you're feeling. So for example, if I was getting in a disagreement with my friend because they're spending so much time um, away from me. Let's just say I'm super needy, like that. The, to approach the situation, it would be something along the lines of, hi, uh, the story I'm telling myself is you don't want to spend time with me because you don't think I'm good enough anymore because I did this, this, and that, and I can't really do anything about it because I don't want to invade into your space. And oftentimes it as you said, the armor, it really takes away that armor from the situation of, instead if you were to approach the conversation like, hey, why aren't you spending time with me? Da -da 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 -da. You totally messed me up. Da -da 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 -da. So, yeah, that's, that's in there. There's also some other lists. Highly recommend you watch it. That is, that is amazing. Yeah. She knows what she's talking about. Yeah, she's so cool. Brene Brown, if you're listening to this, you are the best. You are my idol. Hey, maybe we should start a book club. Mm. <laughs> Our first book is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Well, that, would, that would be a good one. We'll, we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. <laughs> um, I can't remember your original question, but I remember the answer. So, um, right, my, my group of volunteer management professionals, we studied this book. We talked about the concepts. And, it went, and they, they are impactful and new um, and i am still got a lot to learn. I still have a lot to learn. But I also said, hey, like, this actually isn't terribly life-changing either. On the, and I think the thing that does make it life-changing is just that we don't do it, uh, right? Like, it's uh, like when Brene said she was being asked by all these companies, we want you to come talk to us, Brene. We want you to come talk to us. And she says, what do you want me to talk about? And the companies say, well, we're not really into that vulnerability stuff, but we want you to come talk to us, right? So it's not like we don't know where we can. It's just I don't see it happening. Um, and Brene is just trying to be this catalyst force in the world saying we need to get to this, right? This is the subtle stuff that matters, right? While we spend time looking at budgets and policies, we, we actually need to just have these conversations one-to-one -one about these stories that we tell ourselves. Um, and so that is what I don't understand. I don't understand how Brene Brown can get 35 million views, but yet I don't really see our cultures, and by cultures, I don't mean organize, just organizations, right? Like schools, um, friend groups, everything. I don't see it changing. 
Um, but maybe that's just my naivete, right? 35 million is like a drop in the bucket in the, obviously the grand scheme of the entire world. Um, but maybe, maybe this is where it starts, right? Between you and me, between another person and me and just one drop at a time. Mm -hmm. One of the things I struggle with is when I have conversations about vulnerability and shame and empathy with people like you who also understand the value that these three elements have in it of themselves, it's very natural, it feels very safe. But when I have this conversation with a group of people who haven't yet made that um, transition to understanding why vulnerability and shame and empathy are so important, it definitely feels as if my credibility drops, if that makes sense. Like when I have a leadership style of vulnerability and shame and being completely honest, hey guys, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. And then that gets compared to, well, this person knows what they're doing. It feels very, very hard to maintain this willingness to be vulnerable and be shameful and be, uh, be at peace with these negative emotions. So do you ever find yourself experiencing something similar? I think um, I like what you said because it's, it's basically what Brene said. Right, Tim Ferriss asked Brene, why do you think you're such a hit right now? Um, like, what is it about you? And she said, oh, it's not, it's not any star quality. Mostly, people just want to see me mess up. Um, and, I, and I don't think she meant it in a negative way, like they want to see me drown, but she meant like she wants, people want to see her as just a normal person and a leader. Um, and I think that, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's kind of what you're talking about, right? How can you be both vulnerable and, you know, being able to take that armor off so that people do see the sides where you mess up, but also still have that leadership. And it sounds like you're finding some conflict between the two. Yeah, I, I'd say that. Um, maybe I'd even go so far to say as maybe there isn't a conflict and they're both one and the same and I just haven't found what I need to do in order to have both the confidence of my team and the space to be vulnerable and uh, open. But here's the thing, I don't think it's you. I think we have not defined leadership as that, right? We, when we say leadership, we imagine this like superhero cape billowing image. We have not been able to integrate the image of leadership with someone who messes up sometimes, even though how can a leader not? Right? And that has consequences for leaders such as yourself. You're saying, well, I feel like keeping this armor on. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's not you that is failing to reconcile the two. It's just we haven't learned to define leadership in this way. And we, we are all responsible for being a part of that. So what would you say if we had to, if you and I went out right now and we had to do something about it, we had to change the culture of leadership, what was the, what's the first thing that we have to do? maybe it has something to do with what you just said, right? Being a leader who is also willing to be vulnerable, uh, setting that example. Uh, is that one of your interview question answers? I think, right? Um, being a leader who sets the example. And um, even Re Renee struggles with this, right? She tells many stories of when her team, like, Renee, we need to talk to you about this. She's like, no, I'm fine. Um, yeah, it's tough. It's pretty scary. But I feel like if, if you have built the team 
um, with the correct supports, if you have served them truly, they should also be there for you, hopefully. Um, this is all hypothetical. I can't think of anything at the moment. Okay. Um, then let's move on to more practical stuff. Your whole career is about youth development, taking care of young people, helping them find um, a way to serve other people at the Oval. So what are your do's and don'ts in terms of managing a volunteer team? What works and what should you actively avoid if you find yourself in the position of leading a group of volunteers? I'm very happy you asked that. Um, it, I'm sure I'm biased, but I think the work of volunteer management is very underrated, right? Like there's no professional certification that comes with it. It's, it looks like I just smile at my volunteers and we have a great time. I think it's hard to see where the leadership components come in. And it's kind of like what you said, right? Sometimes leadership is so subtle, right? It's just a little bit of listening, a little bit of encouragement that makes the biggest difference. Um, and, and so in that way, I think um, people might think there's nothing to it. Um, I do encourage if anyone finds themselves in this position to go get the training. Um, I think it doesn't help that nonprofits are also, we all know, like severely underfunded in many cases. So they don't put the resources towards an actual volunteer manager or they don't put the resources, even if they have a volunteer manager, they might not get all the support um, that they could, they might actually need. Um, so I think that is, that's not an explicit do or don't, but I, th I think um, learning to value volunteer management is, is important near and dear to me. Um, I think what I would characterize volunteer management is something uh, my favorite English teacher from high school told me, um, and it goes back to the subtle leadership style we were talking about. She said, um, I was asking her like, oh, it's so challenging to be a teacher now, right? Like students, you know, they come in with mental health issues, they come with family issues, you know, they're struggling. How do you teach them your subject when they're, you know, have so much going on elsewhere. And she said, teach the child before you teach the subject. Um, what, what does that mean? I suppose you could take it in different ways. Um, but to me, it just sounds very much like the leadership we've been talking about. To me, I would translate it as be there for the person before you shove an English textbook down their throats. Right? Show the person that you are there for them, that you mm -hmm. care about them, you care about their development, their success, and then it'll be a lot easier for them to digest your math or your English or your physics. Um, that's how I interpret it. That makes a lot of sense, the way you kind of laid that out. One of the, one of the things that moved me about you when we had that orientation meeting way back at the beginning of the year was you, you bought us food <laughs> you bought us starbucks and I, that's never happened to me before where i'd go to an orientation for a worker volunteer thing and the person hosting the event would give us food so it, now that you've now that you've laid it out like that it does make a lot of sense to me that before you can touch a person in uh, intellectual or kind of academic sense, you need to touch them on a personal basis, on a human-to-human -human kind of way. 
Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. That was really, really insightful. While we're on the topic of food, you are vegan, right? You're still vegan? Um, I guess, what made you, what pushed you to make that decision? Um, there's many different ways I can answer it. The, the story that I tell is that I finally got the rest of my life together. Okay. Um, and then I thought, maybe it's time to learn how to cook. <laughs> okay. Right back um, before then, like I had a longer commute. I hadn't um, found a job that I was totally settled in yet. Uh, I moved, um, and then after a while, I finally got all that together. I said, "Hey, you know that you know that vegan thing we always thought about? Maybe it's time to do it." <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it, that was the time when I spent time learning to cook and. I, I have a lot of fun cooking now. I remember before being the person that thought, oh gosh, why would you cook? Like, you're already tired at the end of the day and then you have to do like all the shopping. And you, you know, if you don't like something, you, you describe it as a chore, right? But now I find a lot of joy in it. I, I get to make food for my friends that they enjoy and I feel good about that, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that is, that is one of the stories that I tell about veganism. <laughs> Uh, what are the other stories, if you have other stories? Um, I think another story that I tell about veganism, it is the laziest way to make a difference in the world. Mm. Um, like, I'm not going to go petition my politicians for green whatever, right? Like, I, it's not that I don't think that I should or that it should be their job. It's just, I'm busy, right? Uh, sometimes I need to drive. Right? I could choose not to, but sometimes I want to because it is convenient. Right? So how is a way where I can effortlessly make a difference without really um, doing something, without giving anything up or inconveniencing myself, is just be vegan. Uh, and I do it three times. Well, actually, to be honest, I eat constantly. I, supposedly, <laughs> I do it you know, more than three times a day, and um, that's pretty cool. It's funny that you say effortlessly because... Uh, before we started recording, I mentioned to my friend who's trying a vegetarian diet right now that, hey, I'm going to be chatting with uh, a vegan, so how, what do you think? And she said, get me recipes. So do you have any recipes to share any tips and tricks in the kitchen to go about a vegan diet? Oh, man, I am by no means a cook. I can... I think um, when I was a kid, I thought I would, I would start a restaurant because I really wanted to be able to serve things that make people happy. So I've, I've reached that threshold. I know a couple of recipes that I can serve to friends when they come over. That's a low bar. I've made it. I'm pretty happy. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's important to talk about vegetarianism and veganism and effort uh, because when I first went vegan, I thought it was the hardest thing. Um, but then you get used to it. I think it was hard because when I didn't know how to cook, I could just go anywhere and buy food. Um, and you could not guarantee that there'd always be a vegan option. So not having that option made it seem relatively harder. Um, but now that I know how to cook and I know the joy of cooking and being able to make something from some other things where it didn't exist before like instead of thinking of oh I have to give this up or oh this is so hard you think about the opportunities right oh 
I can create this, right? And there's a total different energy from the possibilities, right? Versus the I have to go without. Um, and I think that's a common narrative between um, people who start a more plant-based diet. They go, I didn't know about all these other foods that I could try before, right? I didn't know what a jackfruit was, right? Um, and so if you can feel excited and, and um, be in that state, it becomes so much easier. There is something amazing about being able to just take basic ingredients and put it together. It's part of the reasons why I'm trying to get into cooking a lot more. I think Seth Godin, do you know Seth Godin? Yeah, so he said something along the lines of um, the cost of learning is so low, but people don't uh, take advantage of it. And there's kind of this level of ignorance that's built because nobody's taking the the, the small and easy steps to be able to gain this wealth of knowledge. Um, on the topic of creating, you are, amongst many things, you are a musician. How did your musical story start out? What happened? Uh, where, what did you learn? What did you... Just tell me everything. Okay, first of all, whoa, what a seg. Can we just appreciate that seg there? <laughs> I'd like to thank Art Attack <laughs> from 20 years ago for oh, teaching man. me about segues. That was a good stuff. It was a good show. I'm so sad it ended. Yeah. Oh, man. That was good 90s stuff. Even, yeah, I don't even remember the host's name, but I just read, hey, it's Art Attack. Okay, I'm going to go YouTube this. Okay. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's people that do what Art Attack does now. It's okay, it's irreplaceable. Yeah. It'll always be the OG. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we're just lucky we got to experience that. Um, we could go way back. Uh, my parents, like many other Chinese parents, put me into music. Um, and they were very... I don't know why my parents... I'm really curious why they thought this. They thought, you know, we will pay the money, put her in the school, and we will churn out... A pianist with a certificate and then she will take the certificate and teach other kids and so it shall be forevermore for you know every generation like I don't, I don't know why my parents thought that you could predetermine stuff like that um, it didn't work <laughs> uh, I mean I came out a classical position uh, musician with uh, the certifications but I didn't believe in the kind of musical schooling that I got um, I I only got one kind of musical schooling so I don't know about very many other ways of teaching but basically it was you read the sheet music you play the sheet music so I just got really good at playing sheet music um, and I didn't believe in teaching that right like I, I technically can but I thought like what am I passing on a value to a young person or someone who wants to learn right I want music to be about expressing yourself uh, my mom still laments that she's like, you can make this much money per hour. I'm like, I, I, can't, I can't justify doing this. It's, it's boring for me. It's tedious for them. Um, but I am grateful I walked away with some, um, some basic music theory. Um, and I think um, the, the societal narrative of like musician isn't a real job like was so strong that I never questioned it. I'm like, oh, of course I'm not going to be a musician. Like it's not, it's not a real job. Of course not. Um, but I thought, you know, I, I'm always humming, I'm always, you know, I have this music in my head. 
oh, sometimes I'll write a song. Okay, that's cute. Like, we'll do that sometimes. It's a nice little hobby. Um, but then I just kept doing it. And then I thought, well, I'll just do a bit, bit better. You know, I'll, I'll record something on YouTube. Like, it's just a hobby. Once in a while, no big deal. But then I just kept doing it. And I thought, hey, 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 maybe we're kind of good at this. Maybe we should try harder. Maybe, maybe we should do better. Um, and then finally this year, I thought, you know what? I'm going to um, get a music producer and really see where my music can go. Um, so I'm really excited. I was lucky to work with Winston Housechild. He produced for Hey Ocean, Wanting Q, um, Hannah Georges, and I learned a lot. And um, I, th I think this is something I, I've struggled with is obviously I'm comparatively really new at this, right? And I have so much more to learn. So it's really hard for me to hold that um, idea that I have so much to learn also with the idea of, but I'm good, right? Like you, I've, I don't know how, other, how it works for other people. Maybe you can share how it works with you. But for me, I need to have that foundation of, but I am good. I, I am good at this before I can progress to actually creating, right? I need to have that bit of believing in myself before I move on to the next step. And it's, it's always, there's always a reason to not believe in yourself, right? I'm not good enough at that. Well, I don't, I don't have this. Um, so that's kind of what I've been working with, right? Like I need to learn, but I, these are the things that I'm good at. Um, so that is kind of where I'm at in my musical journey. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Uh, for me, I wouldn't necessarily say my baseline is I am good at whatever. I do think I have a baseline though, and that baseline is right now I have the ability to learn. So I guess an example would be this podcast, right? I didn't make my first couple episodes thinking I'm good at podcasting, but I do recognize that I have the ability to learn how to become better at this kind of art form, if that's what you want to call it. Um, the, the story you described sounds like a journey in and of itself. So can you describe some of the things you learned, either practical tips or life philosophies that you learned from this journey of classical piano when you were younger to now working with a producer of some of Vancouver's well-known bands? I think um, it's just how to deal with overwhelm because Literally, music is something you can learn for the rest of your life and still not know enough, right? So um, I am someone who likes to have it all. I think, okay, I'm going to learn the drums. I'm going to learn the violin. I'm going to learn how to produce music. I'm going to learn. And, and then after a while, I go, okay, oh my gosh. Like, I just felt overwhelmed. How can I, especially when there's there's only just me, right? It's, it's kind of, it's basically entrepreneurship, right? If I don't work, there's no music. Um, so how do you start building something when there is literally an infinite amount of directions to go in? Um, especially when you throw in like a bit of um, your, your bruised ego in there, right? Because, you know, I need to learn this, I need to learn this, very easily becomes I'm not, I don't have this, I don't have this, I'm not good at this. You know, that other person's better at this. Um, so I think I also like what you how you described your baseline, and I, it sounds like we have something similar that we just described differently. It's like um, this is where I'm starting at, and I have the ability to go wherever I want. Um, so I think with music, um, I don't know if the question was 
um, hoping for something more technical, but it's, it's been mostly a mental game for me of how do I stay in the game? How do I you know, keep myself motivated? How do, I think it's not even motivated. How do I keep believing in myself enough to, to take the next step? No, no, that was a perfect answer. Um, the one part of your story that stood out was when you said, I, I don't feel comfortable teaching someone um, how to read sheet music because that's not, it's not purposeful. And I've also noticed that uh, on your work desk, you have a lot of uh, quotes and ideas and images all about living a purposeful life. So I want to transition there. What, what does it mean to live a purposeful life for you? Um, whoa, way to, way to throw that one. Shintaro yeah. <laughs> does not ask easy questions, which is what I love about you. Oh, um, I think, um, oh, this sounds so cheesy when I say it like this. Um, but my favorite movie is Before Sunrise. Um, and it is just about a girl and a guy who meet on the train on the way to somewhere in Europe, and they just decide to get off um, on a town all of a whim, and the entire movie is them walking and talking. Um, the whole movie? Yeah, the whole movie is just them. Oh, it's just one long conversation. There's also two, two or three sequels, again, where they just walk and talk the entire movie. Um, and I think... I can't remember exactly what the quote is, but at one point the girl says to the guy, um, if there's any kind of magic um, or God in the world, um, it is not, um, it is just between two people really trying to connect to each other. Um, that's not the full quote, but I think that was the essence of it. Um, basically, if you say it in another way, it's like all that really matters in the world is connection, mm. is when we connect with each other. Uh, I feel so silly saying this actually right now because um, I feel like lately I've been caught up a lot in money and like um, ego. When I say ego, I don't mean like I'm so great. I, I'm, I also mean like, oh, I'm not good enough because that's still, you're dealing with your own ego, right? And that stuff is, is so silly to be so self-absorbed. Um, yeah, what really matters is relationships and connections. Um, so I guess going back to the question, like, what does it mean to be a purposeful life? Is having that impact, right? Having a positive impact in that way. Um, I don't think that's that's my like the answer. That's that's one answer I think. Yeah, that that was a big one, Shintaro. Oh man, <laughs> I have to throw that one back to you. That. <laughs> oh no. Um, purposeful life. Right now, it's hard for me to say, right? Being only 21, um, I'm hopefully, fingers crossed, not even at the halfway point of my life yet. I don't know much about a lot of different things. And I think that aspect of not knowing is what gives me purpose. When I work with young people, particularly grade 12 students one of the things I get a lot from them is the idea that they're panicked because they don't know what they want to do uh, when they apply to university and 
I've been fortunate enough to fall in love with that level of uncertainty, you know? Just being able to go through life, pick a goal, go after it, learn what makes me passionate, learn what doesn't make me passionate, and just filter out until I get it together. So there was this quote that I fell in love with in high school, and it was, if you focus on the if you focus on the practice, wow, I can't even remember the quote. Something about the results won't matter if you just focus on what you do, you know? If you forget the goal of, I wanna be six figure salary, buy three houses, own a jet plane, da 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 da, and obviously everybody's goals are different, but if you let go of this idea of, this will make me purposeful, this goal, reaching this result will make me purposeful. And you just focus on the day-to-day, what you do within these micro interactions with people. That'll really fill you up with a lot of joy and a lot of fulfillment and ultimately a lot of purpose. So I think that's that's what it means for me, just focusing on the day-to-day and not worrying about where you'll end up. That's not to say to be lazy though. To be lazy is completely different. It's more being proactive about the steps you take to achieving your dream, whatever that dream is. Yeah. Wow, that sounds easier said than done. Oh, I agree. (laughs) It's one of those things that's so abstract and so simple, but if you don't actually pursue it and have the willingness to fail at it, it's not going to bear the fruit that... um, It's not going to bear the fruit that it can. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm thinking a lot about that with music right now as well, like in seeing how far I have to go, right? I need to learn, you know, just, just learning percussion, right? For example, that can take years. Um, and having that frustration of like, oh, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Um, right. And so going back to what you said about just taking the time, it it's kind of scary, but it also doesn't have to be. It's You have to find the joy in it. Um, and just take that little one step for the sake of taking the step. Uh, yeah, just some things I've been, been working on lately. I love that you said that. Another perfect transition. One idea that I've really been moved by this year is if you notice that you're afraid of something, you should run towards it, not away from it. And I want to know, are there any instances in your life where you've recognized a fear and you faced it? And what has that experience been like? Okay, so one of the biggest things that I've learned in my three years here um, managing this team is that um, you can, again, this is easier said than done, you can actually get excited about challenging conversations. Maybe this is obvious for some people, but when I first started here, um, there were some issues with um, some teammates not behaving well or however uh, I was terrified like oh gosh like what if I talk to this person and they don't change what if they get mad what if they don't like me it's terrifying right um, what if and then also what if I upset them I don't want them to feel bad everyone knows right everyone knows what a hard conversation is like um, and I've just been so blessed and fortunate to have that experience of coming out on the other side and 
Um, I'll give you two examples. One, um, I had one volunteer who was kind of dominating all the others and, and terrorizing all the others. And then after I spoke with her, and this took a couple times, right? Like it wasn't an overnight success. But after speaking with her, she turned around and she said, hey, I, I want to thank you for speaking with me because now I understand um, how I can contribute better to the team and I want to um, be a positive impact on everyone. And it was just a 180 change from this person. Now she is so sweet. Everyone is happy to work with her. Um, another example is with a youth who was constantly late. Um, and for a while it was a drag for the both of us, right? Like, why are you late again? Um, but at the end, again, they turned around and said, hey, thank you for, I can't remember exactly how they said it, but basically it was empowering them because I noticed they went from saying like, oh, it's my dad made me late to, hey, I can do something about this, right? So I noticed that they used, had a more empowered attitude uh, and I'm so proud of them. So now when I go into hard conversations, I go, you know what? It's 50-50% chance it'll be terrible, but it's also 50% chance it'll be awesome. Um, so I think that's the my biggest takeaway. That's awesome. I'm really happy that you were able to experience the positive side and not the negative side. I guess that's a good follow-up. Have you ever had instances where you've put yourself in a situation where you have these difficult conversations and they didn't turn out so well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there, there's this myth out there that you can't fire volunteers. That's absolutely not true, right? If someone is um, damaging to your organization or to other teammates, then absolutely you have to let them go. Um, I think in those situations, it was just really uh, disappointing um, to see like the really ugly sides of people. Um, Right, like I've had people become like physically, not I won't say physically violent, but I've had people like slam things down on the table, which I was very uncomfortable with, right? Like any kind of physical aggression or like they would say racist things or make accusations. Um, at that time, I was just really, you know, scared, right? Like, wow, we are alone in this room. Someone is raising their voice and um, getting physical. Um, but I think now that it's been a couple of years and obviously it's, I'm much calmer now, it's, you think like, you, you, you get to be curious now, right? Like, what is happening? Why do people become so upset that they do this to other people? And I don't imagine that they're happy either, right? They're insisting for the world to be a certain way. They're not getting it. And they're shaking from anger. Um... So definitely there have been uh, more difficult times that didn't turn out well. Um, and I don't have any answers. I'm just left wondering why. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for laying out that story. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious to hear, like, um, what, is, what is your approach when you have those difficult conversations, especially with the youth that you support? I've never been good at difficult conversations. That being said, I don't really know what being good 
at difficult conversations looks like or sounds like or acts like the one thing that has helped me the most would be when I honestly it would be the moments where I take responsibility I know at a certain point it doesn't make it's not productive to take on the fault and blame in instances where there's literally nothing that you can do in a situation but in the moments that you can and especially in moments where you have the ability to say I understand this is difficult for you and I just want to say I apologize because I'm not doing the best that I can as your leader in order to facilitate in this situation even if objectively even if objectively it's absolutely not true there's zero fault that can be placed on you it still presents a situation where you the leader and the participant or volunteer that you're working with you're on the same team you're as a leader you're not here to you're not playing against each other you're on the same team so I think accountability and ownership especially in times where you have the capacity to take it on that that's been helpful in difficult conversations mm, yeah I love that um, so like you said you, you don't have to take any responsibility um, but you you do take the time to make that extra effort and say hey I care about this I care about you I'm sorry for whatever part I played in this um, even if it wasn't necessarily bad or wrong um, you're just acknowledging both your contributions yeah I guess to use an example the, of the one I mentioned earlier where I made a change with my volunteer group and that didn't go over so well uh, I didn't respond with accountability and ownership initially I responded very defensively saying this is why I think it's a completely logical idea and Thankfully, I had the opportunity to talk to individuals and say what I should have said, which was, I am so sorry, I didn't mean to disregard your feelings and opinions. I should have listened more. I shouldn't have done this change without taking into your feelings. And when I presented it that way, the conversation that followed was so much more productive. It was so much less hostile, so much less hostile, much less hostile. It was fine and free-flowing, and it came out with a very healthy resolution. So, yeah. Hey, good on you for turning it around. Thanks. Still a work in progress. I, it's not my go-to reaction by default. When I get critiqued, I still feel the urge to be defensive and guard my point of view. But uh, I'm glad that I'm in a spot where I know this is an option to take accountability and to take ownership so. yeah you you know what um i um kind of in hearing uh, you describe that interaction i actually prefer the word resistance to Brene brown's armor um because um resistance uh is a kind of ongoing effort right because armor kind of assumes that it's on or off right? There's no in-between versus I think a conversation, I see it more as um, 
a negotiation or a partnership kind of a dance. Um, I once heard, uh, I think this came from the SFU School of Dialogue. Um, my friend who took it, she said that a hard conversation can be described like two people walking um, towards each other on like the blade of a knife. If, uh, if that's an odd image, you can maybe use like a balance beam, okay. right? The point is that you can't just walk past each other. You have to at some point, not that I've ever done this, but I imagine you have to hold each other and carefully help each other to the other side. Um, and so why I prefer the, the usage of the term resistance is that um, you can't assume that someone's armor is always on or always off, right? But you do know that if you say something to offend them or to in any way make them feel like they weren't being heard or cared for, they will, again, not, automa not necessarily automatically put the armor on, but maybe they'll start to hesitate a bit more. Right? You start to add an element of resistance, and that resistance can be gradual and it can go up and it can go down, but it's not static. But the good thing about that is, um, as a partner in that conversation, you can work to lower that resistance. Um, yeah, I just think it's a lot more dynamic of a description than the word armor. Um, and I think that that's something that I work towards, right? Making sure that all the conversations I have honor the other person so that they have no reason to raise their resistance or to um, struggle against me in any way. Um, I think if you were to be very, um, how do you say, base or low or crude, there were crude about it, you can call it manipulation, um, which, you know, is not totally off, um, but I prefer to think of it as a partnership. Um, I don't know. Does that does that make sense? Resistance. Yes, I. Th one of the things that came to mind when you were saying that is that it also kind of ties into the idea that resistance is when you resist, it's more personal. You are the person doing the act of resisting. Whereas if you use the imagery of armor, armor is just something you take on and off, take on and off. So it's very binary in that sense. But in resistance, we have different degrees of resistance and then eventually we have the extreme of being completely close to other opinions and completely open to ideas so oh, that's great have you considered philosophy if music doesn't work out <laughs> oh that that looks like a heady one i don't know i don't i don't know what when um i guess philosophy just doesn't look inviting right it it just comes up with the image of like statues of white people that have passed away in yeah. like clothes that are just drapes yeah. <laughs> um, yeah maybe you could teach me a few things oh I, I would need someone to teach me first I, I don't know much about philosophy either I just know that it's a it's a it's a nice elective to take in university <laughs> Oh, maybe yeah. I should study under Brene first. Maybe. Uh, I, there's one more thing I want to add in. I think um, something that I personally like about resistance is that um, even when I'm resisting, um, that doesn't mean I want to resist. Mm. Right? So say someone were to say something that offended me, um, 
with with people I'm close with, I I can um, be more open like this. I say, hey, I feel kind of resistant against what you just said, um, and that to me, I don't know if it's interpreted this way, but I'm signaling a willingness to partner with them through this issue because I'm telling them, hey, this is how I feel, right? Um, and it's we all have those moments when you immediately snap and say the wrong thing, um, and. Uh, when I have a small level of resistance, it's saying, hey, I'm not, uh, it's not to that level yet, but it's saying, hey, I'm starting to feel this way. I don't like feeling this way, right? I don't want to be resistant towards you. I just need you to hear me out on this so that I feel more comfortable again. Um, so I, I feel like it gives you a tool to work together rather than, hey, take that armor off. It's like, right? It, it's, it's not quite like, that's too simplistic, I feel. Love that, love that. Um, I don't have a good transition for this point. Uh, how long have you been in Richmond? Uh, I feel like I've been in Richmond my whole life. I had a brief stint in Burnaby, like three years. Um, but I definitely, I love Richmond. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. I think it's beautiful. Uh, I think being in Richmond, um, is really a privilege like when I was in Burnaby, I didn't realize like, oh, I'm really far from the water, right? Like I used to be a, like a 15 minute walk from Steveston. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess it's like um, when I had uh, a friend come up from Portland, they said, wow, you live in like a Disney setting. You have these mountains and such. And I was like, oh, not a big deal, right? But I think Richmond is that for me, um, even compared to someplace as close to Burnaby. It's just, there's a lot of, uh, nature and beauty here. What is one thing that someone should do when they're in Richmond? It can be a restaurant that they eat at, it could be uh, part nature that they go to, it could be an event they attend. What is something people have to do in Richmond? I would say, um, I think a thing that happens a lot is you you get a lot of restaurant recommendations and I definitely have those um, but I would take it a step further and say experience um, Chinese hospitality through those restaurants like find um, an Asian friend I think I think the eats around here are mostly Chinese uh, who will take you to the best places um, we love being able to show you all these interesting desserts and things that you can't get anywhere else. Of course, you can just walk around the night market yourself and get all that. Um, but I think it's not quite the same as being able to share that ex- or being able to be given that experience from someone who is local um, and knows the way around. I guess um, maybe the couch surfing website would be best for that, mm. right? Like, hey, I'm in town. Can someone show me around? Um, I don't know if there's any other ways to get that arrangement, but I think that's important. Like, what is the food without the connection, right? In fact, I, as a Chinese person, I would feel kind of uncomfortable, like someone's going around um, eating this kind of food, not knowing the significance that it has within whatever tradition. Um, What do you actually understand of Chinese culture? Nothing. You just ate this funny food that is weird and different. Um, So yeah, hopefully, hopefully people can come and have that experience. That's awesome. Um, we're at the point where I have my last question, but I do know that you also had your own collection of ideas that you wanted to discuss. So I guess I'll open it up to you now. Is there anything that we haven't yet touched upon that you would like to go into more detail? 
Uh, I really appreciate this question because I have prepared a rant. <laughs> okay, go for it. I'm quite prepared. Rant, rant. away. Um, but more like uh, something that I've noticed, and you can let me know if I'm totally off key about or off base about this. But I've in um, like now I've released a couple songs on um, my YouTube, and I notice a question that keeps coming up is, "Who's this? Um, who's the boy you're singing about? Who's the guy?" Um, and I think um, that's very similar, not that, I am, not that I am Taylor Swift, but I think it's very similar to a lot of the questions that I think she gets asked, right? Like, Taylor, who's the guy? Who, which, which guy's this song about? And I feel like that, such, that does such a disservice to our especially female musicians because no one, no one is concerned about who Edgar Allan Poe's poems are about. No one is concerned about who um, Picasso's, like we know who Picasso's um, models were, but that's not the point, right? Our focus is on Picasso's genius. Our focus is on, um, you know, the way Shakespeare has transformed our, um, has had that cultural impact, right? But all we can ask Taylor is like, who's the guy? Um, and I'm thinking like Taylor has, has like really beautiful moments. Like some of my favorite lyrics from her is, I'll never walk Cornelia Street again. I'd never walk Cornelia Street again. It is so poignant, so beautiful, so subtle, the way she expresses that heartbreak. Um, or in red, she says, um, what is it? Faster than the wind, passionate as sin, ended so suddenly. Wow, that is amazing. And that's what I love about music is that it introduces this little bit of poetry um, that is so easily digestible and in a way forgettable, right? We just, we just sing along to it and we go about our day. But if you stop and think about it, you're like, wow, that's really beautiful. Um, I really admire that someone can come up with something like that from nothing, right? And I feel like it's kind of disappointing as a musician like some of the lyrics I'm most proud of, um, this isn't an unreleased song, uh, is, um, is love just repeating the same mistakes over and over. Can we talk about that, right? Or um, another lyric is, we are most beautiful when we're alone. We are most beautiful when we're alone under a lonely moon. Can we talk about that, right? I, I'm sure it comes from a, a place of concern, right? Like, hey, you sound like you're writing about heartbreak. Are you okay? Who's the guy? Um, but sometimes I'm like, oh, but I'm a musician, right? It's, it's just a fiction. It's just a story. It's really about the music. Anyway, that was my rant. <laughs> that was, no, that was so beautiful. I, I can't speak as a female musician, nor as a musician, period. But I can imagine the struggle that would arise when you're trying to produce something you're passionate about you're trying to produce this art form and the only thing people can say is that oh so who's who are you writing about who's this figure that is the muse for your song that and we're not even going to talk about what your words mean and how they're so well crafted so um i think that speaks to just how resilient you are the fact that you're continuing to pursue this craft and art form that you love even in spite of these types of reactions so from 
all people that will ever get to hear your music, thank you for producing the stuff that you do. And thank you for being the musician that you are. Thank you for that validation and giving me room for that rant. I really appreciate it. No problem. Uh, any other rants you want to talk about? No, I feel, I feel good you now. Feel good? We're good. That's awesome. Okay. So we are uh, nearing the end and the golden question of each episode is based around curiosity and trying out different things. So I want to ask you, Alex, what is something that everybody should do at least once? I would say, this sounds so cheesy, here's what I want to say, I would say bask in your own glow. Go on. (laughs) So another, um, one of the best um, compliments I ever received was my boss said to me, wow, your team, they're not just happy, they're glowing. Um, and from that I gathered that the people were really feeling connected and um, coming from a strong foundation Um, like they're not just showing up to do the work right? they're finding meaning and purpose in what they're doing um, and they're resonating with that Um, I guess I'm going in two different ways I'm kind of describing like how that group will glow um, but maybe I can talk more about how I achieved, how I, I think I achieved that. And it goes all the way back to that subtle leadership that we were talking about, um, is that I want everyone, especially the youth, um, that comes into the program to feel, to know where their value is, um, right? Like you were talking about how the youth are, um, having like these pressures from school and however, um, and you can get caught up in that, right? You can feel like, oh, I'm not enough. There's so many tests. There's not enough time. How do I do this? I'm not smart enough ever. And I want people to feel like, despite all the craziness in their life, that they can come back to, but I have this value. Um, or I'm good at this. Or, um, but I'm someone who tries hard. Um, and I think... I keep going back to this because um, I'm, I'm really stuck on this idea that um, there's judgment in our society which makes people feel like, no, I, I can't say that or I might sound like I'm bragging. So I think this idea of don't sound arrogant, don't sound like you're bragging can keep people from really saying like, hey, I have this within me and I'm good at it and it's something I can offer to the world. Um, so that's what I want. I want people to, to know the value that they bring into the world. Maybe that, would, that was a more straightforward way of saying it. Know the value that you bring in the world. Um, and don't, don't hesitate to, to be proud of that. Because only when you are um, fully confident about it can you, can you bring it to the world. And that's what we all really need. That was amazing. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now... We are in for a treat, both myself and anybody who's listening to this. You will be playing one of your songs for us. Can you give us a bit of background? What's the name of the song? What's it uh, about? What, what inspired you to write the song? Yeah, um, I chose one that was easier to play. <laughs> um, it's called The Sound of Silence. And I was lucky enough, um, a few years ago, I went on a road trip with my friends. Um, and just outside Lake Louise, um, 
there was, we stayed overnight in the forest. And back then I had a good sleep schedule. So I woke up like two hours before everyone else. I went to wander into the forest. Um, and I feel like that's, I'm sure this is true for many people. Sometimes you just need to get away. Um, and that's when inspiration comes. Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of the songs just come to me. Um, and even in the times I'm like, I'm a serious musician. I'm going to sit down and try to make music happen. Uh, it doesn't work, right? Songs come to me. Um, and I'm really lucky that's when this one came to me. Awesome. I'm, I can't wait to hear this. Uh, we are going to take a quick intermission to get set up, and we will be right back with the one and only Alex. To close off this episode, I leave you with Alex C. and her original song, Sound of Silence. Yeah.
Silence, take me back to you.